Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm always happy to talk to my friend, Dr. Mark Muska. We call this segment Ask the Professor, Professor of Biblical Studies and Theology here at University of Northwestern for 30-some years, and then he retired. So I'm always glad to have him back. So if you have a question about something you read in the Bible, because I got plenty myself, you can uh, text it over, 877-933-2484, any question you have. So as we wait for questions to come in, let me first say, hello, Mark. Hello, Bill. You know, I have some questions myself if I can come at you with them. You always do. Yeah, well, you know, after Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday, and I did all the studying and reading that I usually do during that week about the resurrection and the betrayal and the crucifixion and all that, I was thinking about uh, Judas, and in a passage in, in Matthew— Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So I guess my assumption would be is Judas was maybe out there doing some of this work. Uh, You'd have to assume that there's nothing said. There's nothing said. Would have excluded him. Yeah. And then it was also said that, that he was really not empowered what he was empowered to do, he was empowered by the devil. And so was he Was he never born again? Because better you're never born than do what you what you did to, to Jesus. Yeah. So uh, th- these questions are great because I can give you my most <laughs> frequent response to this. And you know what it is. I don't Three know. Words, right? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, nobody knows. It's hard to figure that stuff out. We try to overlay a Christian idea of, well, are we either born again or not? Are we re- regenerated or right. not? And you're gonna, you're just gonna have some questions in the Bible that you're not gonna be able to answer. Real I get well. it. I get it. Judas is one. There's a whole bunch of them in the Old Testament. My wife and I were just reading about Solomon's fall uh, in First uh, King or Second Kings, and uh, he was this wise man. He had a heart for God, but yet he went after the foreign idols and. Uh, uh, part of the kingdom was torn away from his family because of that. Are we going to see Solomon in heaven? Was he born again? Did he lose his salvation? It's just almost impossible to be able to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm being the optimist I am. I'm hoping he's going to be there. Uh, Judas, there's enough uh, negative said about him in the New Testament where I, sadly I think that we're not going to see him there. Mm-hmm. But how is he able then to go out and do these miracles and exorcisms and that? Uh, this is uh, the power of the Spirit. Remember, they went out two by two. It wasn't him just by himself. And so— right. Uh, and we don't know what his temperament was during this uh, period of time. Uh, it's something that uh, people who get you know get into these narratives they're they're intrigued by because it's awfully hard to get in his skin and try to understand was he a rat right from the beginning, 
or was there something that just put him off toward the, the end of Jesus' life, you know, a day or two before he was crucified, mm-hmm. where he turned then? Uh, that Both are possible. Uh, we have uh, very little guidance in the Scripture to be able to speak with much confidence there. Well, it doesn't seem like the other uh, disciples were suspicious of him. At the, at the Last Supper, they were going, well, who, who is it? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't know who it was. Right. And there was enough of the other guys that struggled. You know, it's at, uh, Thomas has this eternal reputation for doubting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he's that bad, but everybody either. calls him Doubting Thomas. And uh, Matthew, a tax collector. And uh, so these guys weren't lily white with the little halo around their heads all the time. Uh, they were real flesh and blood, and they all had uh, presumably issues that they had to deal with and uh, strengths and weaknesses. Peter, you know, speak now, think later, uh, kind of. <laughs> Of, uh, of uh, yeah. uh, uh, weakness, there it appears. So, uh, th- th- I think w- it's sometimes hard for us to humanize these characters in the Bible. We really struggle with that with Jesus Himself. How can He really be human? But these apostles and these other followers, we have to give them some room. They were flesh and blood. They're, they faced the same kinds of issues, temptations, challenges that we face. When you think of Matthew being the tax collector and probably has a pretty savvy mathematical brain. I wonder why he wasn't put in charge of the money. Was there a temptation that he had about handling money? Entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Or the other apostles would have looked at him with the scowly face, you know? I mean, this guy was taking all our money, and now you're giving him yours too, Jesus? Oh, good so, point. It, uh, who knows? Uh, that uh, uh, w- There, there might have been considerable conflict, at least initially, between Matthew and the rest of the apostles. There, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no reason why there wouldn't have been. Then I was thinking, despite the experience of Satan entering Judas, right. in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus still calls him friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. You know, what have you come here for, friend? Yep. Wow. All right, here's another question, Okay. Dr. Mark Muska. Let's see. Um, why would Jesus instruct our good works to be seen by others? That's Matthew 5, 16. Mm-hmm. If he also told us not to practice your righteousness in front of others, that's Matthew 6, 14. Yeah, um, I'm looking at Matthew six fourteen. That's not what that says. Did I have that wrong? About, yeah, it talks about forgiveness. But oh, that oh, is no, 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 what, no. Matthew, I'm sorry. Says. Matthew six one to four. One to four. Yeah, there I'm you sorry. Go. You forgot your dash. I did. Yeah. Six, <laughs> one to four. Yeah, uh, that we have to look at this in the context. This is the the famous uh, message that Jesus gave Matthew five through seven of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's uh, hitting a whole lot of things. And uh, the point he's making in chapter 5 is that uh, he wants us to be the, the, the ones who bear the light of the world. He says that in verse 14, uh, you are the light of the world, that you're the salt of the earth, verse 13. And so uh, do the, perform the works that are in accordance with that, that you're a follower of, of me and you're, and you're devoted to God. And so nothing all wrong at all like that to demonstrate that to the world. And then chapter 6, though, uh, he's getting at the idea of what kind of hypocrisy can come for that. He uh, 
he singles out, especially verse two here, when he gives, uh, when you give an offering. He says, <laughs> I love his language here. He says, uh, Matthew 6, 2, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may, uh, that you may be honored uh, by men. I tell you that uh, you have your, they have their reward in full. Uh, so we are not to uh, trumpet these things, so to speak, in front of people so everybody thinks we're so wonderful. Uh, that's not why we display our good works before people. Is for us to be exalted, but it's for God to be exalted and for people to be drawn drawn to Jesus. Mm. So uh, there's a, there's a there's a uh, what would you call it a return investment? Yes. That's a, that's a danger <laughs> if if you are doing good things before people. And I think this is just as. Uh, uh, of alive and well in the church today, that there's that temptation that we desire to do the right thing. And isn't it great that there's 75 people around me here to see this, you know, <laughs> that, that, that kind of temptation. Uh, we've got to be careful. The, mm. I love what he says about giving in secret, praying in secret, and your father will reward you for that. Who cares about the rewards of people here on earth? It's the Lord Jesus that we we uh, hope to serve. And I, I, I love how uh, Paul picked up on that, even in his own ministry, that he, uh, he really didn't care what uh, people thought of him. Uh, he was serving God and uh, that uh, he's, he's almost rebuking the Corinthians. I'm over here in 1 Corinthians 4 that he says in verse 1, Let everyone regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I'm, I'm not the, I am not by this acquitted by the one who examines me is the Lord. That's the one that we choose to please and not try to win the affection or the admiration of other people. I, I remember Bill, uh, a, a very good teacher, used to talk about this, that sometimes pastors will stand at the back of the church at the end of the day and uh, shake everybody's hand uh, as they're going out. And all these people, they'll say, oh, I don't think anybody's heard you know preaching like this since the Apostle Paul, and you're just terrific, pastor, and blah, blah, blah. And, and he said, I, I kept in mind that for me, this is the glorification of the worm ceremony going on here. You know, that I know perfectly well where this is coming from. That this is God at work, and I have uh, this. I, I take a distant second place to that. I, I hope they. I hope they realize that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Doctor Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. So get your questions over. Whatever you have, send it over. Text eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. 
Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Back with Dr. Mark Muska. This is called Ask the Professor. And let me know what questions you have for Mark. 877-933-2484. Any question you have, we'll do, he'll do his best to answer it. All right, Mark, let's see. Uh, here's a question about Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Mm-hmm. And why in Micah chapter 3, verse 8, does it refer to Jacob? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, It has to do with the labels that the Old Testament has for these various people. And so sometimes they'll call their nation out, but then sometimes they'll use the name of a a patriarch of that nation to describe it. And and, uh, there's a a lot of flux there. So in uh, Micah 3.8, this is where Micah is denouncing the prophets in Israel and Judah and he's talking about how they uh, they do all these things that are awful. They instruct for a price. They're paid off. And they predict things for money and everything. And yet they talk about how the Lord is in our midst, these prophets, and they sound so holy. And, and so verse 8, uh, Micah is saying here, on the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. And you have to take those last two lines. They're parallel statements made uh, two different ways. That's very common in Hebrew poetry to have that kind of parallel uh, thought like that. So to say Jacob here, remember... uh, God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. That's right, that he gave him the name Israel. So this is talking to Israel here in both lines. He says, heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. So he's talking to the same bunch. He's just using two different ways to say it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you see this kind of thing and Jacob is being addressed, good heavens, uh, Jacob had been dead for centuries by the time Micah writes this, Jacob himself, the grandson of Abraham. But it's speaking about the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob are the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who he's referencing to. So I really recommend to people, if they get stuck on these kind of things, if they have a decent Bible, uh, a study Bible, a lot of the time they'll explain that to you in the bottom notes. And that's really handy if you get knocked off guard and you don't know what this name is is doing. We have such terrific uh, study Bibles. Bibles that have been published in the last 30 years or so. It's just a fantastic source for you as you're reading along in the scripture. You can find a lot of times answers to those kind of questions right off the bat. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Mark. Matthew 10, verse 33 says, Whoever denies me for people, I will also deny him before the Father. Mm-hmm. Peter denied Jesus three times in front of people. Yep. He doesn't get a pass, does he, or does he? Oh, he's he's doomed, isn't he? No, no, he's, he's not. <laughs> no, I know. This this is the idea of denying uh, Jesus and persisting in that denial that I don't know if I can think of a single case in the Bible where someone denied Christ or rebelled against Christ and desired to repent and to follow him, uh, that was turned away. Mm-hmm. That, oh, no, that's final. The, the, you, you've fallen into the hole and you're gone. You're doomed because you denied Christ. Uh, it's a blanket statement, in other words, Bill. I think what, what Jesus is saying there is someone who's denying Jesus, and this is a, a what, a settled uh, position that the person is taking. It's not just something going on. Uh, Peter, all kinds of things were happening that night when Jesus was on trial. And so he denied Christ. But remember, the, at the end of that passage, it says, and he, after he heard the cock crow, he went away and wept bitterly. And certainly after that, Jesus rehabilitates Peter. In fact, I like the way that Jesus does it uh, uh, that's recorded in John's gospel where they're eating on the seashore after Jesus is resurrected. And uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times when he was on trial. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, I do, Lord. He affirms it. So any kind of denial that was there has been taken care of. And and he's rehabilitated. Jesus says, feed my lambs, uh, shepherd my flock. Uh, do you love me? Uh, that's that's uh, him coming back and being restored. Mm-hmm. Mark, when when the prediction was that he would deny him three times before the 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 cock crowed, was that some public address system changing of the guard, something that everyone would be aware of? The cock crowing, you mean? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, it could be somebody just stepped on his tail or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It might have been sundown. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look at that more carefully. I guess I've never thought about it. I thought I thought there was a, a horn blowing for changing of the guard, so. Everyone would know it was time for the guard to be changed, and that was. And I'm off to do some research myself on that. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the. Yeah. Cock crowing. All right. So, how best to pray with a non-Christian? If you're in a discussion, you're talking to somebody, and you say, "Can I pray for you?" and and you just know they're not a Christian. Is there is there some counsel or some advice when you when you pray? I mean, you want the authority of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to be in the prayer. Yeah, but you also don't want to. Yeah, you know, you want to be invitational. Yeah, in fact, it's a very relevant question, Bill, because I've used this in the past few years uh, when I'm out and I meet a non-Christian and I'm talking with them and uh, maybe doing something with them. I'm thinking of one case where I was uh, uh, helping on a delivery truck of picking up things for a. Um, uh, a Christian uh, store where they would uh, sell, uh, resell used goods. And we were filling the truck and talking with the person, and uh, uh, you get to know them just a little bit. But it's a great entree into a non-Christian's life. If you think they may be a non-Christian, you may not know, is to just ask them, was there anything I can pray for you about? 
I think that's a great introduction. And if they uh, respond if, uh, positively to that, it may give you an opening to speak with them further about mm-hmm. Jesus and the gospel. And uh, that it's a, it's a very good thing to ask. But so then when you pray with someone like that, it's not a bad idea to say, well, we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and we believe that when we speak to him, he hears us and he responds to our requests and our needs, our concerns. And so uh, I'd like to pray with you now and, uh, and pray in the name of Jesus that he would hear us and, uh, be able, and you'd be able to see God at work in your life. It's another thing that's real, uh, a real good challenge for a non-Christian if they say, well, I'm not sure if God exists. I just, you know, I've got my questions and all this kind of thing. It's not a bad thing to say, well, it's not a, 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 a why don't you try uh, uh, putting God to the test and just saying to him, uh, God, if you are real, make that known to me in a way that I can't mistake for something else, the coincidence, just luck or chance or something like that. And uh, many people who have become Christians, that's part of their testimony, that they did that kind of thing and uh, something happened in their life. It's no guarantee that Mm -hmm. that's going to happen, but it can be a very powerful way to challenge the person to say, why don't you open your heart to the possibility that there is a God who is very much interested in communicating with you, and so why don't you talk to him and and see and put it to the test, see what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Text your questions over, please. 877-933-2484. All right, here's one in Revelation chapter 21, Mark, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I'm thinking in the new earth, in the new heavens, I was thinking about an oceanfront view. Man, well, you're going to be disappointed, bud. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really? This, well, this is something, the way this is described here. Uh, I love the things that are said. The city of Jerusalem descending out of heaven, and it's huge. If you look at the dimensions of what that city is like, it's going to cover two-thirds of North America. <laughs> <laughs> the city of Jerusalem. So there's some really fantastic stuff there. But we got to take it at its word. There's not going to be a sun or a moon because the very glory of God is going to illuminate everything. Uh, I don't know about you, Bill. That gets my imagination running. And so I'm not so much worried about some seaside resort that I'm going to live at as to say, just what is this going to be? How are we to understand this? It's going to be absolutely spectacular in all these changes that we're going to see. Mm-hmm. I love the way C.S. Lewis speculated about this in some of his literature where he talked about this new that God is going to perform. That's the real. We're living in the shadow lands now and the, the vapors and the things that are in, uh, uh, unclear and insignificant. Everything will come into focus. It'll be much better much clearer, much greater when we get to that place where we're with God. And I think, wow, you know, that gets my imagination going. I wonder if Lewis is right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest in this segment I love. It's uh, called Ask the Professor. So maybe you got a question that came up even in a Bible study this week or you heard something at church over the weekend. 
and you thought, I don't know what that means, you can text the question over and Mark will do his very best to answer. 877-933-2484. I'll give you that number one more time. 877-933-2484. With my friend, Dr. Mark Muska, today, it's Ask the Professor time. Let me know what questions you have, 877-933-2484. First question comes from a radio host named Bill Arnold. Why did you stay up till one in the morning? Well, I'll answer that one. I was watching playoff hockey, and boy, am I tired today. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, go yeah. to bed. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it was pretty exciting. So Was it? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah I know you're not a hockey fan, but... yeah. That's what I did till one in the morning. Did you really? The game went till one o'clock. Didn't start till nine, and it, was, oh. it the the game ended in second overtime. So they wow. played, played a lot of hockey. I was thinking, well, man, if it was one o'clock in the morning, they must have played eight overtimes or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, Mark. I got a bunch of great questions for you. So let's get back to the the important stuff here. Okay. Um, this question uh, comes from Matthew twenty seven fifty two to fifty three. Can you explain in that verse where, where tombs were opened and men and women were raised from the dead? Yeah, what a passage. Oh, it's this, powerful. Well, this is spectacular what's happening here. It's at, at the point of death for Jesus. And so let me read a little context here. He's on the cross, and he has just said in verse 46, Eli, Eli, Labakthani, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you skip out to verse 50, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then, wow, look what happens. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or died were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many and then it just goes on from there and talks about the uh, the centurion, talking about that this surely was uh, God here. This is only in Matthew's gospel. Uh, it certainly shows that death itself, there was a huge wrinkle that went through death to have these other people coming out of the tombs like that. Now, without any other substantiation to it, we've got to be very careful to draw conclusions about this and conjecture because we just don't know. But, uh, you know, why did they come out of the tombs? Uh, and uh, it appears as though that happens when he dies in the earthquake and everything like that. But they don't come out of their tombs until after he's raised from the dead. So that's a couple days later, three days later. And uh, I I just leave it alone, Bill. There's, uh, okay. there's head-scratcher passages like this that give us narrative, and we just— 
we read them, and I believe them. I don't think this is false. I think it did happen. But to make sense out of it, uh, I'm going to have to wait for the Lord on this one. Okay. Mark, here is a passage from Matthew 11, verses 12 to 15. What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence yeah. and the violent take it by force? Yeah, this is uh, this is Matthew Day, isn't it? Yeah. We've got a bunch of them here. Uh, Jesus is talking here. Um, John has sent his disciples to Jesus asking him, uh, are you the one, Jesus, or should we look for another? And Jesus sends them back with a great answer from Isaiah 35. But then after uh, the uh, after all this, he talks about John, and it's really a tribute to John. Uh, starting in verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see, a reed, a reed shaken in the wind? What did you come out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are kings in kings' palaces. What did you see? A prophet. But I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your the way before you. And then here we go. Verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, we can talk about that one for a while because that's got some (laughs) significant ranking issues to it uh, that were greater than even John was uh, when we're the least in the kingdom of heaven. And so he's talking about something, it appears, uh, in the future that is uh, transcending the present day that he's in. And now here we go. Uh, Then uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. That's prophesied in uh, both uh, Isaiah and in uh, the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, uh, the spirit and power of Elijah that uh, John the Baptist came in. And then Jesus says, in case you didn't hear me, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So uh, what he's talking about with the kingdom of heaven there is very difficult to untangle about it being taken by force. Is this talking about some kind of of cosmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, angels versus demons. Uh, He talks about it being that uh, violent men are taking it by force. So is that uh, literal here? Uh, We just are, we're left with a whole lot more questions than we have answers to those questions. And so I hate to be uh, such a wimp here this afternoon, but I have to beg off on some of these questions as far as being too, uh, too categorical about answering them. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting comment we were talking in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, about there being no more sea. And a, a comment came in, which I found interesting. When my husband studied Revelation in seminary, the discussion about there not being any more sea was meant to be that John was writing from the island of Patmos, and he was separated by the sea from all the churches and the people that he loved. Yep. And that he was almost in code saying there will be no more separation in our relationships and in us physically. I thought that was yes. an interesting comment. Oh, it's fun 
to speculate about that kind of thing. John had a significant ministry in Asia Minor there, uh, seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation that he addresses, and uh, he is separated from them. Uh, I'm not going to say that I disagree with that as a possibility. Uh, The book of Revelation has so much symbolism to it and uh, allegorical kinds of implications to it, he may have been sending some signal that way that we won't be separated any longer. But it is a stretch. There's no way to to support that from the text of Scripture itself. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure not going to throw it out the window, but I'm not going to say this is, you know, this is for sure. We, we just can't be that uh, definitive. Okay. Here's another question. How can we know that we have eternal life as stated in 1 John 5, verse 13. Yeah, that is one of my favorite verses. I love this with, one. Uh, with new Christians, Bill. That uh, One of the things that Jesus and John here promises us is that we can know we have eternal life. I love this. I'm just going to read it. It's 1 John 5. I'm going to start with verse 13. He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And I like to say to a new Christian, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Have you put your faith in the gospel? And they go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, he's writing this to you then. Okay, Charlie? And he says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him that we have, we know that we have eternal life. Notice the words there. He doesn't say that we think that we might have eternal life or that we hope that we will have eternal life. John is saying this is something that we can have confidence in because we depend on Jesus to forgive our sins. That's the core of the gospel. We've been forgiven, and now we can know that we have eternal life. If Jesus is who he says he is and who we depend on him to be, where he died for us and rose from the dead, then we can have that kind of confidence that when we take our last breath, we're going to open our eyes into an eternity with Christ, and we can know that we have that eternal life. I think it's just one of the best uh, promises in the Bible there. It should reassure us. I like to tease people about that. You know, we've got a worry list in our pocket that's got our 35 worst worries about life. And this whole thing about where where do I go when I die? Well, you can scratch that one off the list (laughs) because of 1 John 5, because there's only 34 now on that list, because this is something we don't have to be anxious about. I think it's maybe the cardinal trademark of the person who is a follower of Christ and has put their faith in the gospel that they do not fear death. They, They may not want to die, don't get me wrong, but they don't fear it. They're willing to embrace it because they know that they have eternal life because Mm. they depend on Jesus to forgive their sin. Yeah, why do so many doubt? Oh, I think we all have our times of doubt. Uh, Anybody want to raise their hand on this one that, you know, you put your faith in the gospel and then you have these colossal struggles against temptation. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're going, wait a minute, I thought I was a whole new creature. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 5 says? And uh, John chapter uh, 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 3 there with Nicodemus, we're born again, and all things have passed, all, all things are new now, and yet I'm still tempted, and I fall to that stupid temptation just like some bass on a hook <laughs> in the lake, mm-hmm. and I keep struggling with this. It doesn't go away. I can see where a lot of people would be th- 
tempted. And uh, I think this is something that uh, the great forces of evil gathered against us would sure like to whisper in your ear and suggest this to you. Oh, yeah, you know, you're still having that problem with having a profane mouth, you know, all these four-letter words come out of your mouth. You must not really be a Christian. You, you It's just fake. You, you're deceiving yourself. You're really lost. You know, you better despair. Can't you just hear that demonic voice trying to to get you to doubt what uh, Jesus has clearly promised to us. And so uh, doubts come, and sometimes they're legitimate, and we work through those doubts. But I love to go back to the promises in God's Word to be able to minimize those doubts. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, here's my next question. Okay. Is accepting the mark of the beast, denying Christ, and what exactly is it? Is it something that you accept? Yeah. Now, this this is in language that we have to go over to Revelation for. Okay. Because, uh, let me turn over there. There's some uh, pretty awful times being predicted here about uh, the uh, d- great dragon, Satan himself, having uh, incredible influence during the time before Christ returns. And then this beast or this man of lawlessness, or sometimes we call him the Antichrist, that the dragon empowers and the things he's going to do to bring evil in into the world. And there's going to be this incredible deception that takes place. Uh, I'm looking here in uh, Revelation uh, chapters uh, 13 and 14 where it describes all this, that uh, – this there's going to be some kind of a mark of the beast that the people of the earth are going to have to get in order to buy and sell to do business and so uh let me just read a little bit of this the i'm i'm speaking about here this uh this beast that comes into the earth and in verse 16 of revelation 13 it says And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. That's where we get this 666 thing, okay? So uh, that is uh, – it's right there for us, Bill. We have, to, we have to look at it and try to understand it. Very interesting. Thank you. So, for that. But, but yeah. well, then we can go on to say, and it says in chapter 14, whoever receives this mark of the beast, they are cast into this place of eternal torment uh, night and day forever and ever. Hmm. And so uh, it's, uh, it's a very stark warning there against uh, getting this mark of the beast. Isn't it interesting? It has to do with buying and selling. And we have all these automated things now with chips and cards and everything where we buy and sell with them. Mm-hmm. I find myself hardly using any cash anymore mm-hmm. because of credit cards and all this kind of thing. So it makes you stop back and, uh, and look at it a little closer. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back more time with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor. Let me know what questions you have, 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Boy, that song is sweet. My, oh, my. That's better than anything we're going to say. Isn't that the truth? Should we we just stop talking and play that song for a little bit longer? You're going to get a fan here. I love that song. I love that song too. So Mark, I got another question relative to the 1 John 5.13 from the same person. It's just such a sweet, tender question. Mm -hmm. It just kind of, my heart is so soft right now. And the the comment or question is, if I shared 1 John 5.13 over the phone with my mom, three months before she passed away, and she agreed with me with what I was saying. Can I feel confident that she was saved? You betcha, pal. That, <laughs> I, I, I take that to the bank. When somebody makes an affirmation like that, I've told you that before, I'm a basically positive person. And so they make that kind of profession, even if they wash up on the shores of heaven like driftwood, you know, the last moments of their life Mm -hmm. that they put their faith in the gospel. I'm going to ring that one up for a soul that's going to be with Jesus forever. That's Mm -hmm. just that's just awesome. I've got that in my family. My wife's uh, mother and her brother both did that kind of thing within days and weeks of their death. They put their faith in the gospel after resisting it their whole life. And we're looking forward to saying, hi, mom. Hi, brother. I I, I think they're there. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very, very nice, Mark. Thank you for sharing that. I, I like your confidence. Um did you ever see the movie The Apostle with Robert Duvall? I don't know if I did. Yeah, the opening scene is brilliant. He's a he's a, a, a pastor who's got huge problems, but he arrives as he's driving down a road at a car accident where a car a car's gone off and there's a guy dying in the car. Hmm. And EMT is coming or a sheriff is coming and he races to this to the side of this car and talks to this guy and leads him to Christ. Wow. And the deputy was kind of sitting there seeing watching it and the guy died and then as he's walking away the sheriff says do you think anything actually happened and he goes yes yes i do Hmm. that is our hope bill yeah it is god is the one who knows the heart yep we can just go by people's professions of the what they what they say that they put their faith in Mm -hmm. i'm 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 hopeful in those cases Okay, let me look here. I've got a couple other. How did God find all those poets to use as prophets? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> hey, you know, the the uh, prophets, they're kind of a crazy bunch, you know? I mean, they were not wearing some clerical collar and running around. Uh, that was for the priests and for the lawyers and that in the temple. Uh, these prophets, they sometimes were a pretty rough bunch, you know, that there was a sheep herder is uh, one of them out there, and uh, uh, I think they were pretty pretty 
pretty regular people. Uh, they were uh, not were walking around with some halo uh, around their uh, around their top of their head. But it is true that there's a whole lot of prophecy that is written poetically, and so if that's God's uh, uh, divine uh, inspiration of the text there working through these human authors to make that poetry. It's very powerful, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it gets into predictions that are made. And so uh, there is a whole bunch of it. I love the Bibles now. They didn't used to do this, but most of the uh, Bibles being published today, when it's poetic, they'll set it off like poetry. They won't. They won't uh, have the verses and the chapters look just like uh, law or uh, or narrative or something like that. They'll set it off to show uh, this is poetic and what's going on here. And it's one of the things, Bill, that I wish we st- uh, would study more about the Old Testament. Is the use of uh, poetry in the Old Testament so much of the time it. It helps us interpret what the prophet is saying and what the scripture is saying if we understand the way that uh, that Hebrew poetry worked in the Old Testament. It can open up things for us, and uh, uh, it would be it would be great if some pastors would get the idea to have you know a class, a Sunday school class, or something like that on Hebrew poetry for dummies or something like I that. I really like that idea. Yeah. I would sign up for that. Yeah, I mean, there's the description of the parting of the Red Sea, then there's also the poetic description of the parting of the Red Sea, which is pretty pretty spectacular. The Song of Moses there. Yeah. They're standing there watching Pharaoh's army being destroyed in the water there, and the horse and his rider he is cast into the sea. You know, that that's just— Where is that from, Mark? Oh, that's right in Exodus there. It's— Right when they're going through, what is it, about chapter 12, when they go over, I'm looking it up here, but uh, let's see here. I love a live show where you can hear the professor turning his Bible pages. Oh, that's a happy sound. uh, I'm sorry, it's chapter 15. Okay. And then can you, can you read well, at the it? End of, well, at the end of verse uh, chapter 14, the last two verses say, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then chapter 15, 1, here's the poetry. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And it just goes on from there. It's just spectacular. Mm-hmm. I love, by the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. I <laughs> can't get much better than that, can you? Yeah, I'm, I don't have that poetic gift. You know, I wish I could <laughs> think of that kind of thing to say. But it's, yeah. it's the kind of thing you can't say. You got to shout it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. What about the difference between a, a wicked heart or a demonic influence? Are they... Well, they, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we're, we're parsing words there. Yeah, I don't know if we are either. You know, people talk about a wicked heart, but is that a person who has a demonic influence if you have be. a wicked heart? A wicked heart speaks of something internal. And uh, in that sense, we don't need any devil or demons to bring evil thoughts into our minds and hearts. It's there. It's corrupted human 
fallen nature that we have that uh, is utterly corrupted. There is, uh, there is nothing uh, there for us to, to claim as something good. And so, sure, we got a wicked heart. I, I sure can claim that. I think you can too. Thank mm-hmm. God Jesus did something about that. And now he says we have a new heart that that wicked heart has been has been defeated it still rears its eagle evil uh, uh, head and we have to battle it at times but uh, thank god that it's been defeated but that's mm. internal and i would say the demonic influence is external okay these are demons that are trying to get at us all different kinds of ways. Yeah. And they sure work hand in hand with one another, don't they? They sure do. Mark, just a minute left. Psalm 90. Yeah. Uh, verse. That's Moses too. That's Yeah, that's Moses. Uh, uh, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Final wow. thoughts on that. That's, <laughs> let's make the request, folks. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. I don't know if I can say any more. Well, okay. I don't think there's anything to be said, but teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's beautiful. Yep. I love it. Yeah, I do too. You getting some sunshine in Sioux Falls? We are. I hear you guys just keep getting snowed on. Yeah, we we got some snow, but you know why that happens? I'm so superstitious. I'm a former baseball player. It's when people start putting their snowblower away. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do that, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, well, just kidding, just kidding. I yeah, I look forward to our next time together. Thank you so much for being on the show. I always love talking yep. to you. Thanks to you, Rosie, too. I know you didn't say anything, but nice to be there, too. Yeah, she's smiling right now. Thanks, Mark. Have a great yep. rest of the day. Thank you. God and bless my best you. To Karen. Thanks. Yep. All right, that's our show for the day. I have just loved uh, all of this. And if you missed any of today's show, maybe you're just in the habit of going to the podcast, because uh, many are. They can't listen live, but they love checking in the, with the podcast. And you can do that at myfaithradio.com. Next week's going to be a blast. We're looking forward to our spring fundraiser. And I always enjoy... What goes on throughout that fundraiser? Because we gather, Carmen's coming to town, and we have uh, so much energy with the vision that God has put on our ministry and the way in which you support us and love us and care about us. And we want to do our very best uh, serving the Lord and serving you. And uh, we are a a listener-supported radio station. So... Without you, we are in trouble. So thank you so much for your generosity and your love and your concern and your prayer. That makes all the difference. You can go right now to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. So have a great night, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.